This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on the Out of Water podcast, we're bringing you part of a message from Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Sam continues leading us through the miracles of Moses and, specifically, how the miracles of Jesus always reveal that he is greater than Moses. Let's take a look at two miracles that involve the glory of God. In one case, Moses' face shines after being in God's presence. In another, God's glory comes down to dwell in the tabernacle. We'll see just how Jesus accomplishes far greater miracles. Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. So Moses is up on the mountain, right? And as he's, as he's interacting with God, he doesn't realize, which by the way, I think there's something instructive here, that when he comes down from the mountain, his face is glowing. There's a message hidden in that, that when, if you've authentically been in the presence of God to where he changes you, to where you experience his glory, you don't come down going, yeah, look at this. You see this? Like, he doesn't even know that it's happening. He's been humbled. He's not, he's not concerned with himself. There's something in that. And so anyway, he comes down from the mountain and he's shining, right? So we get to Exodus 34. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel, Aaron's the high priest and his brother, saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Like if, I, if we started tonight and my face was shining, would any of you be freaked out? Like the orange lights kind of help. Can we, can we get those up? No, 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 please don't. But anyway, like, they're, they're terrified. Like, here's this representative of God who comes down, his face is shining, and it says, but Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, which means they'd run away, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. I don't want this to be a distraction from my ministry. And then his glory would fade, and he'd have to go back. And then he would glow, and he, then his glory would fade. And in Deuteronomy, there's, he picks up on this, and Moses is writing about a promise, right? The people are just freaked out when this prophet, a fallen prophet, comes down from the mountain, and his face is glowing, and the people run away. They're terrified of an encounter with God, a real encounter with God, like even a prophet who's shining they run away from. And so in Deuteronomy, in the kindness of God, he sets up what he's going to do with the Savior of the world. It says, this is Moses writing, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, a man, from among you and from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Listen to him. 
For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb, Sinai, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us, let us not hear the voice of our Lord, of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire anymore, or we'll die. There's a reason, even when the, when the angel of the Lord ever appears to some, and the angel of the Lord is Jesus without flesh. It's, he's coming. It's, he's the captain of the host. That's who he is. So the angel of the Lord, whenever he appears to somebody in the Old Testament, without fail, what's their response? you know, face down, trembling, terrified. In the New Testament, that doesn't change. You know, Peter, even without the shining face and all the glory, what's his response to Jesus when he calls? Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. There's something about standing in contrast to the holiness of God, which we can't imagine. Everybody falls. His holiness is too much. And so out of kindness... I will come as a man and I'll speak to you so that it's not utterly terrifying. I will be kind and I'll be tender. And so then you get to the New Testament and there's this really cool time. Jesus, throughout his ministry, what's he, he keeps telling his apostles, this is my mission. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken to Jerusalem. I'm going to be hung on a cross but on the third day, I'm going to raise, and every time he says it, the, the disciples are like, it can't penetrate. It just keeps hitting him in the head and falling down. They don't get it. They're expecting him to lead a military coup and to overthrow Rome and to be this great king and take power here on earth. And then Jesus comes and he's like, my kingdom's not of this world. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on. And Peter's like, I'm never going to let you go die. I'm never going to let you suffer. And then Jesus turns the volume up right after he says that to Peter and the apostles he then says, and oh, by the way, if anyone wants to follow after me, guess what you get to do? You take up your cross. And they're all like, oof. This is not a good sales pitch today, by the way. <laughs> and so then Jesus does something really, really tender. I love this. And it's totally speaking back to Moses. He takes him way north, probably to Mount Hermon, which means the holy mountain, the tallest mountain that feeds down into the, the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River comes from Mount Hermon. And he takes him up on the mountain. And this is the story that we're told. Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James. Now, these three guys are like the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. That's, that's his, of the 12, those are the three that are always with him. And they went up on a mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. It shone like the sun, Matthew tells us. And his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. So here's Moses, who had an encounter with God on Mount Sinai. And oh, by the way, Elijah is another prophet who has the encounter with God on Mount Sinai, which is also awesome. Pause. Elijah is a discouraged prophet. He's just had victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. He goes up on Mount Carmel. He's going against all the prophets of Baal. He has victory. But he's been fighting for so long. He is so weary. He is so exhausted. And he's tired of being the only one who seems to stand up to fight. And so after he has this victory, the wicked queen, Jezebel, says, I'm still coming for you. I will kill you tomorrow. And Elijah goes, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm so tired of fighting. He goes, he lays down under a broom tree in the desert, and he says, I'm no better than, than the pagans, than any of my ancestors. And God comes to him, and he's very compassionate. 
and he lets him sleep and he brings him food and, and he does all, and then when he wakes him up, he doesn't say, okay, get back to the battle. He takes him and leads him to Mount Sinai. It's total solitude. He gives him rest, which is really beautiful. And then when he puts Elijah up in the cleft of the rock, probably the same one that Moses was in, what happens? You get all these manifestations of power all around, right? And Moses is in the cleft of the rock, and here comes an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then comes a hurricane, right? And just beats against the storm, beats against the... But the Lord's not in that either. And then comes a fire, and it just scorches. And the Lord's not in that either. And then it says, and then came a still small voice in the calm and he's in that. When the Bible tells us that Jesus is the rock, you know, that, that hymn, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. What's the picture? Here's this weary prophet who has nothing left, and he's in the rock. Hear that? And the storm comes and beats, but it doesn't hit God's prophet. The rock takes the beating. And the fire comes, but it doesn't hit God's prophet. The mountain takes the fire. And the earthquake comes and shakes everything up, but it doesn't hit God's prophet. The mountain takes it. Christ takes it. And he gives us peace and quiet, and he allows us to rest, and he's compassionate. And so here you've got Moses and Elijah, who all of a sudden are appearing on this mountain. These two men, the two greatest prophets of the Old Testament. You with me? Two greatest prophets. Are with them, and they're appearing in glory. Whoa. And Luke says, and they spoke of his departure. That's the English translation, but if you look at the Greek, you know what the word is? Exodon. You know what that, it's literally Exodus. So here's Moses, who's talking to Jesus about the Exodus he's about to fulfill. The Exodus he's about to accomplish. Think how cool that is. He's leading us out of the land of death and bondage. And Elijah and Moses, who are now in the glory of what will, that will accomplish, are reveling in this, of what he will accomplish at Jerusalem. And Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but they became fully awake. So hear that. Here you've got the inner circle. They can't, they're like, oh, we can't stay awake. We can't stay awake. We can't stay awake. But then, oh, they see the glory and it's like, whoa, now they're fully awake. They're all in. And they saw his glory and the two men stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter says foot and mouth, Peter. Master, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, literally tabernacles, which is where God dwells. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he said. And one of my favorite things is a really, really ignorant thing for Peter to say, but I want you to get what you're in for here. He's looking at Jesus shining forth with all of his glory. And he sees a glorified Elijah and a glorified Moses. And he says, you all deserve tabernacles. Now, let me tell you what that means for you. If you today could see you in glory and the glory that Christ will clothe you with, you would think you deserve a tabernacle too. That's your future. That's your future. That's wild. Peter's not an idiot. He's not saying, oh, these guys look like garbage, but let's give them a tabernacle. No, they're shining with glory. So then God steps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. 
As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were all afraid as they entered into the cloud, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. And hear this, what was the promise that he instructed in Deuteronomy? When that guy comes, listen to him. And now here's God saying, this is the one. This is the one who comes in human flesh because you couldn't take the glory. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And as they were coming down on the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one this vision. This is weird. Tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Like usually in the Christian faith, we think, oh, go, go tell the good news. Why do you think God says, don't tell anyone until the, after the resurrection? Let me tell this story. You know how those of us that are old enough to remember film, you know, like, and it was always confusing, but you would look at film and things that were bright were dark and things that were dark were bright on the film negative. So I want you to imagine as we go through the transfiguration, I want you to imagine the negative. Jesus goes to a mountain to pray, but his inner circle, Peter, James, and John are too sleepy to stay awake. He's flanked by the two greatest prophets in the Old Testament. Just honor, glory, right? I mean, he's flanked by Elijah and Moses. This is a good entourage. His closest friends are drawing near to him. Jesus is shining in radiant righteousness, right? He's, he's beaming, and his friends are heaping praise on him, and his face is shining like the sun, and his clothing is radiant and glory, and the Father is going, oh, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Father's telling everybody, listen to him. And Peter wants to build tabernacles. Let's turn up the negative. Jesus goes to a mountain to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. And his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, can't stay awake. Three times he goes away, and he comes back and says, can you not stay awake with me for one hour in my darkest hour? Can you not stay awake? And he's not flanked by the greatest of prophets. He's flanked by two thieves. His closest friends aren't saying, wow, we need to honor you. His closest friends have bailed. He's not shining in all righteousness. He is utterly drenched in our sin. He's not getting the praise of his friends. He's getting the insults of his enemies. His face isn't shining like the sun. In fact, the whole land goes dark. His clothing isn't radiant in glory. He's stripped naked in shame. The father isn't voicing pleasure. The father is pummeling him in wrath. The father's not saying, hey, listen to him. The father himself has turned a deaf ear. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Peter is not saying we should build tabernacles. Humanity and all of our wickedness is tearing down the true temple. And so Jesus says, not until after I've gone to that mountain do I want you to start talking about this mountain. Why? It's a message about what comes first. It's a message of hope that suffering comes before glory. Jesus is going to carry his cross. He's going to go to the mountain of suffering. But man, it's like, it's like Paul says, those that are given glimpses of this can say things like this. All our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. Do you know what you're in for? Carrying this cross, which 
is a light and momentary affliction. That sounds so dismissive, but if anybody can say that, I'm going to go with Paul. You can say that. If Paul can look at all of his sufferings and all of his whippings and all of his imprisonments and all of his shipwrecks and all of his betrayals and all of his wounds and scars and everything else, and he can look at all of that and say, this is light and momentary compared to the weight of glory that's coming at us. This mountain becomes bearable when you realize that's the mountain we're in for. And what's wild is when he goes to the transfiguration, when John and Revelation then describes what the church is going to look like in the last days, you know the, the words that he uses? Shining like the sun. Clothed in righteousness that's dazzling. What he's saying is, Because Christ went to the cross, you're in for a transfiguration. That's the measure of his love. Like, it's so good. It's so rich. God's sovereign beauty is just overwhelming. There's no wasted words. All these miracles. He's just preaching his love for you. These aren't parlor tricks. The why behind all these miracles stunning. It makes me not care about the what and the how. It's just overwhelmingly beautiful. So then we get to the the Ark of the Covenant. When Moses is up on the mountain, God is giving him designs for what the tabernacle is going to look like. And he says, okay, the only piece of furniture, so the tabernacle is a tent covered over with animal skins is kind of the roof. And in the first room that you walk into, you've got furniture, you've got a table of showbread, you've got a a lampstand, you've got altar of incense that symbolized prayer. But in the holiest part of it, a room that's just 10 cubits by 10 cubits, which is the measure from your elbow to your fingertip. It's 18 inches. So your bedroom at home is probably bigger than God's room. Like there's some humility too. He says, hey, I want to come and dwell in the midst of my people, but you can't be in my presence or you'll die. We talked about that, right? So I'm going to dwell in the tabernacle. My glory is going to dwell. And the only thing that I want in my room, the only piece of furniture that I want in my room is the Ark of the Covenant. And he gives these instructions. And so this is what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. It's a golden box, the gold overlaying acacia wood with these angels on top. And in between the angels is what's called the mercy seat where you would put the blood of atonement. And the lamb would be slain once a year for the sins of Israel and it'd be poured onto the mercy seat. And then through, through the writings, we're told three things were to be kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And all of them have these rich meanings. So you had an omer of manna the Ten Commandment tablets, and Aaron's rod. And I want to just briefly tell the story of each of them, okay? The first one. We get to the Ten Commandments. When you get to into Exodus, we usually stop. Like once they get to the Red Sea, we're like, okay, let me find some more narratives because now we're getting into all the laws. But this is really beautiful. Moses will go up on the mountain. He spends 40 days with God. God descends. He comes down, right? And he meets Moses, and there with his own finger, he writes out the commandments on stone, we're told. So the word of God descends, comes down. Then Moses, after 40 days, they hear the sound of shouting and singing, and he's like, what in the world's going on? He comes down the mountain, and he sees the Israelites in this time, after they've already pledged, we'll follow God with everything, we will obey him fully. They're already down, turning their back on God, worshiping idols. And what does Moses do? He takes the word of God on tablets 
and he's furious and he takes them and he's and he shatters them. And then he spends 40 days interceding for his people. God, forgive them. God, forgive them in the wilderness. You know, they've messed up. They've messed up. And then God says, okay, I've, I've dealt with that sin. Come back up to the mountain. I'm going to renew the tablets. What do you hear in that? Just, just on a basic level, here's the word of God that has descended, taken form, confronts the sin of the people. It's not the people that get broken. It's the word that's smashed. And it's the word that's restored, raised up. And then the la- another 40 days, God spends with his people after the restored word, and then God ascends, and Moses comes down, and they carry out their mission. And so if you look, what is Jesus? Jesus comes in. He's the word made flesh, and he's presented to the people in the temple after 40 days. So here the word of God descends, and he's made public after 40 days. That's interesting. Then another 40-day period where Jesus goes into the wilderness and where Moses and the Israelites failed and sinned, Jesus withstands the temptations of the enemy for 40 days, and he's perfect. He doesn't mess it up. Moses goes back up, receives the new risen tablets, and then he ascends after 40 days. Jesus, after his resurrection, spends how many days with his apostles before he ascends? 40 He's telling you this pattern, the Ten Commandments, the word that comes down that's broken for the sin of the people, that's raised up. It's following this pattern of who Jesus is. It's really pretty beautiful. Then we've already talked about this, but you get to Aaron's, or the manna. How long did it take before the manna rotted? A day. By the end of the day, it started rotting. It grew worms, which you find all over. That's death, right? Worms grow. And here, after a day, if it's not in the presence of God, it dies. But then God gives this really pretty incredible commandment where he says, write each, or I'm sorry, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till morning. They didn't listen to him, of course. Some left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank. Death. When the sun grew hot, it melted, and Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout all generations. And you kind of want to go, Well, Moses, no, 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 that doesn't work. It's going to rot after today. Remember, it's going to die after today. No, it won't. Not in the presence of God's glory. There is no death in the presence of God's glory. And so God is saying, You want to know what's precious to me? I want one piece of furniture. This is what I want decorating. I want the restored word in my living room. I want this reminder that death does not come to those in me. I want that in my living room. Then you come to Aaron's rod, this really weird thing. All the people, because they, know, they not only grumble against Moses, they come after Aaron, the high priest too, and they say, he shouldn't be high priest. He's no good. We want him out. God says, all right, everybody take your rod. Everybody take your staff, and I want you to put them outside the tabernacle. These are dead sticks, right? They've been cut off. People are walking around with them for months. They put their staffs outside the tabernacle. And he says, in the morning, the one whom I select to be my high priest will have a staff that's blossomed and grown almonds and all this stuff. And by right, Aaron's a mess. Like high priest, he probably shouldn't be high priest. I, I shouldn't be high priest. You shouldn't be high priest. But what does God do? He takes this dead stick 
and he makes it blossom. There's no natural explanation for that. This is a God that brings life out of death, right? Resurrection. And he says, I want that in my living room. He's decorating the Holy of Holies with all these emblems of life and resurrection. And, you know, I can't get into this. I'm tempted. I can? All right. So, I can. It's her fault. Tiffany's fault. In Egypt, the way that you hoped to get an afterlife was to take a box that was made of wood, to overlay it with gold. On the top of it was Anubis, who was the god of the Egyptian. He guided you to Osiris in the afterlife. And inside that box, you know what you put? You put all of your organs. You put them in canopic jars, and you saved your liver and your heart and your stomach and your intestines, and you put, I think those are the four, and you put them in the box, and that went into the Pharaoh's tomb with them. And that was their hope of the afterlife. What is it all about? Oh, if I'm going to have an afterlife, it's all about me. And so God leads them out of Egypt, gives them a wooden box overlaid with gold with two angels on top, a mercy seat. And he says, you want to know the key to afterlife? It has nothing to do with you. Put my manna in there. My daily bread that never rots in my glory. Put the stick that comes back from the dead and blossoms. You can't explain it, but that's my power. Put the word that's been destroyed and risen again. I want that in my box, in my living room. And all the people, all these Israelites that have seen what the Egyptians build, they know the funerary process. When God gives them that design, I, I have very little doubt that they're looking at this box going, this is our key to the afterlife. And here's what's really beautiful. It's not Anubis that he puts on top of this golden lid. It's two angels staring at each other. And in between them is a mercy seat where blood would be shed. Now get this. The greatest miracle that Jesus will do is the resurrection, right? And we're told that on resurrection morning, the women come to the tomb they see that it's empty. They're weeping. They run back to the apostles. Peter and John race. They run in. They see the folded linens. Jesus isn't there. They don't know what to make of it. They're thinking, uh-oh, something's going on. Mary Magdalene is devastated. Peter and John are like, this is really cool. And they leave. And Mary Magdalene is sitting outside the empty tomb. And it says that weeping... She bends over, looks in, and this is what it says. That her burial, the burial cloths are here. What would they have looked like, by the way? They would have been drenched with blood. And it says where Jesus' body had been, she sees one angel at the head and one angel at the foot. And the blood in between. Now, what is that? That's the mercy seat. That's atonement. Once and for all, God himself has filled the mercy seat. That's an infinite payment. No more annual mess. Infinite payment once and for all. And here's what's really beautiful about this, guys. In the Old Testament, guess who was the only one who was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies? The high priest who had to be of the Aaronic line and from the tribe of Levi and a man and da, 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 da. And here, good Lord, it's Mary Magdalene. A woman, a healed demoniac. Someone who 
tradition says was probably in prostitution. And God is coming to us saying in this new order, this is our high priest. He takes the lowest and exalts. And you got to wonder, God who knows all things, he knows what's coming when he's on the mountain with Moses and he's saying, I want this in my box. I want the, the manna. I want Aaron's rod. I want the Ten Commandments. I want that in the Ark of the Covenant. And you have to imagine that when he says, and this is the way I want you to sculpt, they have to look at that image going, what in the world? We know the real fulfillment. You know what the Ark of the Covenant is? The holy of holies where God's glory dwells, it's the empty tomb. All these miracles, singing, bursting with God's delight in us. It's amazing. He's really good. And he's a whole lot better than Moses. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friend, for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed what you hear, please subscribe and give us a good rating so that other people can find Out of Water also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.